As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Welcome to the My Essential Birth Podcast. I'm Courtney. And I'm Stephanie. And we're professional doulas, childbirth educators, and the creators of My Essential Birth, the holistic, empowering online childbirth education course helping mothers everywhere confidently achieve their best birth. So join us each week as we share tips and advice for all things pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you can be the first to get new content. And head over to www.myessentialbirth.com for more information about our birth course and to join a community of mamas just like you. We want to give a shout out to our reviewer of the week, Infant Tech, who says, so thankful for this podcast. And I just have to preface this by saying, Steph and I were like blown away by this review. You guys will see why here in a minute. She says, this podcast has been invaluable. I started listening several months into my first pregnancy and found their willingness to cover both and all sides of controversial topics refreshing and informative. I went from having only piecemeal understandings of various pregnancy and birth-related topics based on friends' experiences to having a wealth of options and preferences to research, explore, and decide on for myself. My husband and I ended up purchasing the birth course as well, which gained us access to the Facebook community that has been a tremendous source of much appreciated support, encouragement, empathy, positivity, and advice. The focal purpose of their podcast and birth course is to empower mothers to make informed decisions about their pregnancy and birth with confidence, excitement, and a wealth of research and knowledge. The support I received from them personally and from others in the group recently helped me to make the decision to switch providers at 28 weeks, something I was nervous to do, but I knew I needed to do as I gradually realized my provider and I were not on the same page and that if I were to stay, I would likely have a birth that looked more like her ideal than mine. I think that's like an immense, powerful statement. Definitely. I had my first appointment with my new provider yesterday, and the conversation about my birth plan could not have been more encouraging and affirming. Delayed cord clamping? Yes. Immediate (laughs) skin-to-skin if possible? Absolutely. Different labor positions besides the back if I choose? Amen. Intermittent monitoring versus continuous? Fully supported. Eating and drinking during labor? Uh, Yeah, it's a marathon. I left the office feeling so relieved and thankful that this podcast and the women behind it gave me the motivation and conviction I needed to do what is best for me and our son. 10 weeks left. Thank you, Courtney and Stephanie. So hopefully you guys are listening to that and just like nodding your head and cheering her on and saying yes, because I know that's what Courtney and I were doing. And that's kind of exactly why we do what we do. This is the perfect example. The whole point behind the podcast or the birth course or talking to you guys on Instagram or relating any of this information to women is so we're giving you a voice. You're feeling that confidence. You're empowered. You have some knowledge. You know what you want for your birth and you know how to get it. And so this, I feel like, is the 
perfect relationship between all of that and into watching her get exactly how she's feeling she wants for her birth space. All right. So this week's topic was fun to put together for one, but also it came from sign up kind of some questions that we had when we reached out on Instagram and said, Hey, you guys, what are some things you're curious about in regards to birth? We want to answer those questions for you. And this is a topic that we have seen come up time and time again, and it has to do with pushing. And I think we've even done a previous episode all about pushing. This is a little bit different because the question is, should I push? Or should I let my body push on its own? Because I think there's a a lot of talk right now about breathe your baby down and out. Don't push. Don't. There's conflicting advice out there for sure. Totally. And so when we had this Q&A and we got these questions, we definitely thought it's time to talk about it. So this episode is going to walk you through what the second stage is all about. We're going to give you some information for times for pushing and what a prolonged pushing stage looks like, the differences between pushing when you have an epidural versus being unmedicated for this stage, getting to 10 centimeters with and without the urge to push, why positions for pushing matter, and when and how to push. Are you nodding your head going, yes, yes, that's the information I need. We're so excited to give it to you. So first, let's discuss what happens during this second stage, the pushing stage. Now, we talked about stages in a previous episode, and so that might be good for you to review if you haven't listened to that already. But basically, when your body is complete or 10 centimeters dilated um, and your contractions change to being expulsive, this is kind of the start of your second stage, your pushing stage. If you have an epidural, you're unlikely to feel that it's time to push. Um, You may feel the urge to poop, though. That's a really common one. Even mothers with an epidural, they're like, all of a sudden, wait, I feel kind of this fullness down there. Or you hear them say, wait, I don't know. I think I might have to poop. And that's that's with a mom that is less numb (laughs) than (laughs) than some other moms. Um, But that's the most common with an epidural. I've also heard women describe it as I I just knew that I was feeling a lot of pressure down Mm -hmm. low and like Steph said, a lot of fullness down there. And so even with an epidural, those may be some sensations that you feel. Yeah. So when we get into later in the episode about the bearing down or the breathing with your baby, we're likely talking about an unmedicated birth. Uh, moms with epidurals typically need to have directed pushing, and we'll discuss that a little bit later. So what does it mean to have a prolonged pushing stage, a pushing stage that lasts longer than what we anticipate or expect? We need to make it clear that the guidelines for prolonged pushing stages have been given by ACOG, the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology. And the way they define it is that a prolonged pushing stage It used to be considered longer than three hours for first-time moms who have an epidural or longer than two hours for first-time moms without an epidural or longer than two hours in moms who have had children before and have an epidural and longer than one hour in moms who have had children before without an epidural. However, new guidelines from ACOG give an extra hour for each of those situations that we just stated above. And we're going to talk in a little bit about uh, providers and what this looks like because guidelines are fun, but Courtney and I are big believers in you trust the process, you listen to your body, you take in all the information. It is not uh, just like they say, you know, the guidelines are that once your water breaks, baby should be out by this time. Different hospitals and different providers are going to feel differently on that. And your situation will be different depending. So we're giving you the information that we're pulling from, but keep in mind that these are not like, so your baby has to be born by. That's not what this is about at all. Yeah. Guidelines are just that. They're guidelines 
guidelines to keep in mind that your provider should keep in mind that you can kind of keep in mind. But every birth is so individual and we need to give allowances for that. Yeah. And because we're talking about this and these individual providers, they're going to have different protocols, just like I talked about, ways that they practice. And so that's why it's so important that you're asking these questions ahead of time. Like you might be in your first trimester, but when you are interviewing your providers, you should be talking about the pushing stage. (laughs) What does this look like when I'm pushing? What does that look like for you? How do you support that? What am I able to do? And we'll talk about all the things that happen during that pushing stage and why it's so important to have to be involved in that situation and to have your provider on the same page. But keep in mind that back to our original thing, your provider matters big time. Exactly. Because even though the guidelines would maybe suggest that in your particular situation, you should be allowed three hours of pushing time before we declare it a prolonged pushing stage, you might be with a provider who personally isn't comfortable letting any woman go over two hours. And so two hours before they start to make suggestions about, you know, a vacuum extraction or even a cesarean. So these are the kinds of things that Steph's talking about that you need to get worked out well before uh, the end of your pregnancy, ideally in that first trimester. Well, isn't that kind of a tricky thing to be like, if you're with an OB, for example, your provider is not seeing you until they're there to catch your baby anyways. And so I don't know, sometimes I I feel like there might be a bit of impatience on the provider side. And two, if you're totally not ready to push all the way yet, or if they leave the room and come back for whatever reason, and they're going off of what nurses are saying, or things instead of being with you and really paying attention to your needs and, mm-hmm. and how your body's reacting, I feel like that can get a little unfair. It's totally unfair because, and this is just a sample scenario. Let's say you've had a mother who's been laboring for 30 hours and she's finally complete and pushing. She's exhausted. She's tired, right? She's not going to come into that second stage with the same energy as a woman who just went from zero to 10 centimeters in four hours, who's going <laughs> to, whose energy levels are going to be a little bit different. So that's why you need a provider who's patient. I feel like that's one of the number one characteristics next to somebody who is supportive and a champion and encouraging, at least for me personally, that's what I would look for in a provider is somebody who is patient and willing to allow birth to unfold in the way that it's intended to. I agree. As a way to honor all of the mothers on here, from now through Mother's Day weekend, you can grab the My Essential Birth course and get the new bonus birth affirmations track plus matching birth affirmation cards and get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot. Or you can be one of the first five to bundle and save grabbing the My Essential Birth and Postpartum course. And I will personally send you a handmade 100% muslin cotton belly bind with your bonus tutorial video. Plus you get all the bonuses from before the birth affirmation track, matching birth affirmation cards, and you get entered to win one of three goodies from Docatot, totaling $247 worth of goodies. Head to myessentialbirth.com forward slash get started and join me in the birth course today. Happy Mother's Day. Um, Keep in mind, longer pushing stages this is like a, just for your information, they can still end up with interventions like forceps and vacuum extractions and a cesarean. And in fact, the longer we see, if we're looking studies wise, a mother that is in the pushing stage longer, uh, she has a slightly increased risk of those further interventions. Um, And so I know that Courtney and I, we see as doulas and evidence does support this, that sometimes babies that come after a longer pushing stage, they might need a little help after they're born. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe their APGAR 
our scores aren't an immediate 10. Maybe they need some help breathing or waking up or the, I mean, being in the vaginal canal for an extended period of time does pose a little bit more risk to baby. But in that situation, your provider is still going to be making sure that you're okay, that baby's okay. They're checking Mm -hmm. on everything. And so we'll kind of touch on that later as to maybe there is a time to bear down and, and get things moving. And maybe there's a time to be patient, but keep in mind that it does pose, I don't want to say it like poses the risk because I don't know that being in the vaginal canal or having an extended period necessarily poses a risk. It's just that there can be some either underlying things that are involved before you're you're pushing or before baby is actually born, maybe having nothing to do with the actual length, just something that's going on with mom or baby that can make it look like that postpartum. I do especially think though that leaving a baby in the birth canal for longer than what baby or mom is ready that drives me crazy. And I have seen babies that then need a little extra (laughs) assistance. Okay. So I was doulaing at a birth where, um, and this happens so often, you guys, it it seriously makes me a little bit angry, (laughs) but I'll calm it down for the podcast here. (laughs) So a lot of times what you'll see is that mom will be complete in dilation. And oftentimes I see this play out in scenarios where mom has had an epidural, right? She's not getting those strong, I can't help but push, uh, you know, feelings. And so the nurse will say, okay, well, you can give some practice pushes, especially if it's a first time mom, because they think it's going to take you forever. Well, I had, I've actually had more than one instance where this mom starts pushing and baby's like almost crowning and they're like, whoa, 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 stop right there. Stop right there. You know, your doctor's not here. And then they make baby sit in that birth canal for a really unnecessarily long time so they can wait for the doctor to come get gowned up and all those things. And then in both of those babies, they did need just a little bit of NICU time. It wasn't anything crazy, but I couldn't help but wonder... Would that have been the same situation if baby had been born when mom's body and baby's body were ready to be born rather well, I never than mind waiting? the woman that's like, baby's coming. Like, what are you, what do you mean? Stop pushing. You know, I'm yeah. listening to my body in this moment. And sometimes I'll hear nurses or, or people say, well, we're just trying to, oh, hey, you're 10 centimeters, but we're just going to let, you know, your body and baby hang out there for a while. I'll come back in about 45 minutes to check on things. We'll let your body do a lot of the work. And there is some element of truth to that idea. But if your body's ready to go and baby's ready to go, you, you shouldn't be having to wait for anyone or anything. They should be born when they're ready. Okay. So why do we talk about all this? All you guys asked was, (laughs) should I push or let my body do it on its own? Uh, We want you to have all the facts. This is kind of our soapbox, right? Like we believed in informed consent. We believe you deserve all the information so that you can make the best decisions for you, your baby and your family. So we want you to have all the facts going into this so that no matter which way you choose, you made that decision for you. All right. So let's talk about what pushing looks like with an epidural. So moms who have an epidural typically have longer pushing times overall. This isn't true for everybody, but generally this is what we see. And we do see this pretty clearly as doulas. Yeah, because if you are numbing your body from the waist down, from your abdomen down, uh, then you need a little bit extra help to get those contractions going again. So they don't typically start the Pitocin as soon as you get the epidural. Generally, when a mom gets an epidural, 
epidural, you're taking just a moment of rest. And so you get the epidural, you get comfortable, maybe that's 30 minutes, those contractions stop, you get that break, you get that rest. Stop or slow down. Right. And the Pitocin, they kick in the Pitocin so that labor can continue. And so if you would not have received the medication, then it's likely things would have continued to increase, which is probably why you're receiving the medication because it was getting a little crazy, right? So generally, it's going to slow down the time. We don't want you to think that just because you're utilizing an epidural means that you also have to push in the traditional way on your back. Um, Position still matters. In fact, I feel like it matters even more when you've had an epidural. Um, We're going to talk more on that in just a minute, though. So just by virtue of the fact that you're not able to feel everything and and move with your body as needed, it's more likely that you're going to have more interventions overall, including forceps and vacuum extractions, as well as cesarean births. And like Courtney talked about, you can still move from side to side with an epidural. So back to that kind of positioning. But what it looks like when we're supporting somebody who has an epidural or what we are preaching to our women that choose to get epidurals, which is totally fine, is that about every 30 minutes, you want to be changing up your position. So we don't want you just leaned flat on your back or even laying upright necessarily on your back. It will be better for you and baby and the birth experience, and it can increase Um, the success of the epidural not turning into a further intervention. If you have help from your nurse or birth assistant or whoever's helping you, your husband, your partner, if about every 30 minutes you're moving from side to side. So we like to see moms turned from one side to the other and we like to see the leg open because if your hips can be open, it gives space for your baby to move down into the birth canal. And one of the biggest reasons, in my opinion, that we see women have this increase in cesarean births once they have an epidural is the lack of movement. The women can't listen to their bodies anymore and and feel that, oh, that feels weird. I'm going to move my hip to the right or, oh, that feels weird. I'm going to squat down or lean over the toilet or I have to listen to my body and, and sway from side to side. You lose that movement when you have the epidural. And so to increase that opportunity for your hips to be open, your body to move, your baby to be able to navigate through the pelvis, we recommend moving from side to side. It's also going to keep your epidural instead of it being stuck on one side and, and you're only numb on one side, it allows it to be even from side to side. And so we say with the leg open, if they don't have a peanut ball, they can still put one leg in the stirrups. They're, I think they're super good about, you know, positioning that all awkward like, right? Um, but a peanut ball is really, really great. And then if you are taking a break and leaning kind of on your back, make sure that you're not flat. You should be at at least a 45 degree angle. And then anytime we're talking about pushing, if you are kind of lean back, we want you to roll forward into a more forward position because not only is it easier on your body, you're shortening your birth canal, which makes it easier to push that baby through because there's less of a space, less of a distance that baby has to make it through. But you also increase or decrease your chances of tearing, which we see much more common with epidural babies. Like Steph said, moms who have utilized an epidural typically need more direction for pushing and will likely need to push with their contractions. And this is just to be expected, right? If you can't feel everything that's going on, but your nurse can tell when you're having a contraction, she's going to be able to hopefully be really helpful in guiding you where and how to push. We call this directed pushing. This is kind of what you typically think of sometimes with pushing in a hospital setting. (laughs) It's a, okay, you know, hold your legs back. One, two, three. Somebody's counting for you. They're telling you when to stop pushing. They're telling you when to start up again. Um, And hopefully they're giving you some really good direction. I've seen some providers who will actually, you know, they're 
down there anyway between your legs. <laughs> and they'll actually say, okay, I know you can't feel my fingers right here, but I'm going to add a little pressure. If you yes. can feel that pressure, yes. I want you, this is the direction and where I want you to push. Or they might give you a reminder that, hey, the same muscles you use to go poo are the same muscles right. and way to push. And so that's what you should be doing. Hopefully they're giving you some really helpful tips and advice like that. And if you're not, that's okay. Cause you heard it on here. Yeah. <laughs> and I would say that exists with unmedicated pushing too, especially yes. like for a first time mom, when you're going to push and you like, you need a little direction, like you're talking about the fingers and stuff. Absolutely. That is like way useful for an epidural mom. I've seen it for first time moms as well. Yeah. Push here, push here. And they're just gently pushing on the perineum and it's like, Oh, okay. And as soon as you can tune into that spot, you can get your, your fixation there. Then you can start working with your body. So yeah, not all directed pushing is bad. You know, it's, it helps to have some amount of direction and support and encouragement. Uh, I think our big thing is when you're hearing that, okay, take a big breath and they're counting to 10. Are you still listening to your body? Do you need to take a breath and get some more oxygen? Right. Are you overdoing it? Are you feeling exhausted? You have to be able to kind of navigate that area. You regulate yourself that way. If you need to take another breath at five seconds into her counting, instead of holding it till 10, you do that. You do you. Okay. So here's the opposite of that, which is the unmedicated mom, right? Now, chances are, if you don't have an epidural, you don't have any medication, you're going to know when it's time to push. And we touched on that when we went over stages of labor uh, in one of our last episodes. But when you move from that transition into your pushing stage, the feeling that you get, the reason you can tell most of the time is because baby hits that Ferguson or fetal ejection reflex. And they hit this space down low. It's the same one that tells you, hey, it's time to poo now. They hit this reflex. And all of a sudden, as Courtney said before, your contractions change to expulsive. So instead of them being, oh, I'm trying to breathe through them. They're kind of taking over my body. It's like, uh, <laughs> you're feeling that little bit of that. There oomph. are grunts. There's that yes. oomph. There's that little bit of a push. So unmedicated births do tend to have less intervention overall. That includes, right, the forceps, the extraction and cesarean births. And then just like with a mom who's had an epidural, freedom of movement is still very important during this pushing stage, no exceptions, right? An unmedicated mother typically naturally will favor upright positions when allowed this freedom of movement. Um, and that could look just as simple as she's, you know, doing a squat with her feet on the bed, holding a squat bar, or maybe she's um, turned over. And again, we're assuming this is a hospital scenario, but I feel like you get a bit more, even more freedom <laughs> of movement. If you're out of hospital, maybe you're in a birth tub, you can, you know, lean over this side and you can push a baby where you're on your knees that way. So we typically see them wanting to be a bit more upright in this stage and moving. Yeah. Upright and right. Like mm -hmm. swaying your hips and holding onto your partner and you're like breathing down and making deep guttural sounds. And you're really tuned into your body and listening to everything that it's telling you to do. And sometimes even moms who are going unmedicated can feel a little emotionally overwhelmed at this time. If they've come through a transition that was fast and furious, you know, they may be still trying to sort of recover a bit and they might be in a position I'm okay. I'm speaking about me right now. This is this totally <laughs> happened to me. Um, I came through that and I was in the water and I just, I couldn't think of other positions. I didn't know what else to try. And I was grateful for people there who were saying, okay, we're going to try in a different position because at that point I wasn't mentally there to make that call on my own. But I think most <laughs> women are. And so just 
you know, keep in mind, follow your body's cues. Go with go with whatever position feels best. So let's move into talking about dilation because there is dilation before and after the pushing reflex. And this will make a difference for how you choose to to push and when you choose to push. I almost said poop. How you choose to poop and when you Same choose thing. to poop. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so as baby descends, we talked about that. Transition's over. They're hitting this reflex. And and what's funny about that is, right, the common thing that we hear is like, oh, I, I think I have to poop. I think I, I, think need I to have poop. to poop. Yeah. So when you say that and you're getting closer to the end, that's when the nurses are coming in. And, well, let me just check you real mm-hmm. quick before we do that. So the truth is, though, you can hit transition and finish transition and you can be complete. You can be 10 centimeters and sometimes they don't hit that reflex. So in other words, sometimes you don't have the urge to push. Mm-hmm. And that could just be that they haven't descended far enough into the birth canal just yet to get there. And that's okay. It's okay then at that point to give your body and your baby some time to sort of get there and wait for that urge to push to come, assuming you're doing well and baby's doing well. Often though, in a hospital setting, um, whether you've had an epidural or not, once you reach those 10 centimeters, that complete dilation, you're encouraged to get pushing. However, if you're not feeling that urge and if you and baby are doing well, it really really is okay to rest and wait for that urge to push to come before beginning to bear down or obviously if you're trying to breathe your baby down and out. Court, you brought up a great point though because if the reason that you are not having the urge to push even though you are dilated is because baby is higher up in the vaginal canal, then pushing too early before baby descends can actually be kind of tricky for baby and mom. Like it is best to wait for baby to descend, to push on their reflex and to get moving. And so if you are, especially if you're unmedicated, because that's how you're going to know. If you have an epidural, you don't know if they've hit that reflex or not necessarily. But if you are unmedicated, you hit that 10 centimeters, but you do not have an urge to push. Our recommendation is if mom and baby are doing well is to chill out, (laughs) allow your body that time to rest, kind of recoup. Um, We talk about how transition can be kind of this crazy time. It's one contraction on top of the other. You're not getting a break. You're feeling overwhelmed. If you get a break, if your body allows you a break, holy cow, by all means, take it. Like I've talked about this even with my third birth where I was going into transition and I was so tired. I, I just said, I'm, I'm going to go upstairs and lay down in the bed. I slept for 45 minutes and woke up to contractions that had me into transition. Our bodies are smart. They're wise and they're wonderful. And so if we allow them the space to do what they're allowing us to do to have this baby, then I think it just turns out better for everyone. Exactly. And this isn't a stall. This is a divine break that you're being given. There's still a ton that's happening during this time from I'm 10 centimeters, I'm complete, but I don't have this urge to push. Like Steph said, baby could be moving lower down into the birth canal. Your breast could be, you know, saying, hey, we need a minute. We've got to kick this colostrum production into high gear. We're almost done here. Um, hormones are doing things. Or you could just genuinely need a rest. Your, but trust your body. Trust that it's doing that for a reason. Okay. And here's the other side of that. You can not be completely dilated and have pushing contractions. And depending on where you are at in your labor, that's actually something you can lean into, which Mm -hmm. sometimes may or may not be encouraged. I know for myself, my second baby, I had pushing contractions at four centimeters. That's not a time to listen up and get pushing. Had I known what I know now, that was a positional thing. That's a, let's try some different positions for, for me so that I can get baby into a better position so they're not hitting on whatever was going on back there. Maybe try some water or walking the halls or twisting or turning. I mean... That is not a normal time that you want to push into it. However, if you're at nine centimeters and you have the urge to push, 
that can actually be something that helps complete dilation and moves you into the next stage of labor. Yeah, it's really your choice. If you have that urge, say at nine centimeters, your provider and you may say, you know what, lean into that pushing, it's going to complete dilation. It should be a choice you make with the help of your provider. But, you know, between the two of you, you may also decide that you're going to try to choose not to push and wait. And there's some breathing techniques that you can utilize to help kind of get you through those feelings of needing to push before you and your provider feel that it's an appropriate time to do so. Right. And maybe this is a conversation for another podcast, but a couple of things that can be happening here is uh, as you begin to push one of two things, either it completes dilation and you can move into that next stage or what happens if if you have a provider down there that can kind of check and see what's going on, you could start to swell the cervix and then they say, okay, well, we gave that a try. Let's cool off and see if we can allow that body to dilate all the way. I guess kind of the third thing that can happen is sometimes that lip or rim of cervix that's left, like when we say nine centimeters, oftentimes what we hear is there's just this little lip or this rim that is kind of how they talk about it of cervix left. Let me see if I can kind of with this next contraction with my hand inside of your private area, I'm going to try and push this over the baby's head, which is uncomfortable from Mm -hmm. what I have seen. I have not had this done, but I've been a doula at births. It's uncomfortable, but then it slips right over and boom, all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden it's time to go. And so there are some things going on with that nine centimeters or right towards the end there that could be happening where pushing or not pushing could be good for you. Yeah. And just so you guys know, just an FYI, fun fact, um, (laughs) your body doesn't dilate, your cervix doesn't dilate like in a perfect circle. In fact, it's more, it's more like an (laughs) ellipse. (laughs) And so when, when you hear them say that you've got a lip of cervix remaining, it just means that, you know, we're, we're kind of dilated everywhere except the one end of this oval shape. And so that's what they're talking about. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because for me and you and I, like, yeah, of course we absolutely know that, but I feel like when I was having my babies or very, like very early on learning about this stuff, I really did think it was my like cervix this perfect has circle. No, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I did, I thought it dilated in this perfect circle like yeah. that because that's how it's described. And that's my book had a perfect circle. And, um, so that's true. It does like baby's head is not a perfect circle and dilation doesn't happen in a perfect circle and it can happen in the front or in the back. So yep. yes, without getting into all of that, that, I'm glad you brought that up. As much as we can, let's talk about positions for pushing. And this is where I really feel like the birth course is helpful because you can get visuals and you can practice all these things. But suffice it to say, position matters, like period, end point. It just matters. I There's this great image, and maybe we'll get to share it on Instagram this week, where it shows um, kind of a little bit of the anatomy of mom laying on her back to push and, and the birth canal in reference to that. And it's literally like pushing your baby up a hill, right? And then right. they show her in more upright positions or even on all fours, and it's completely different. And so just know that freedom of movement, no matter which way you choose to birth your baby will mean um, more comfort and possibly a quicker second stage. And it will definitely allow for mom and baby to work together to help baby find that ideal position. You have to keep in mind that baby is still moving around and kind of kicking and pushing against your your uterus. Um, when your cervix kind of goes away, you you get a lot more of your uterus like up on top of of your stomach, right? And so baby's pushing against that. And so baby is doing their part really to work with each contraction and help themselves to be born. You really are working together during this stage, you and your baby. Okay. So I think we're finally moving into the part that people actually asked us questions about. (laughs) 
you asked us, should I push or let my body push? And we gave you all the details behind it. I'm actually going to continue to do that for just a second here. Um, and that's the when. When when is it time to push? When should you push? Court, what do you think? When you wanna. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I think when you feel that urge to push and you're completely dilated or you're working to complete dilation with the urge, as we just said, um, or if you're getting rest and you need it, then take it. Like you get to decide here. So when you have that urge and you want to, by all means. And when maybe you don't have that urge and you need a rest, or maybe you have the urge, but you need a rest, then you get to make that decision. Maybe you don't know if you have the urge. <laughs> In which case, um, having a birth team that's supportive and you know has got your back, listening to them and what they advise is helpful. Yeah. And uh, I think it's really important that we listen to our providers. We make sure that everything's good for ourselves and for baby, right? We want to make sure that mom's doing well and baby's doing well. That's what they're there for. That's what we go to doctors and providers and midwives for. We want to make sure that we are safe as we walk through this process of birth. Uh, But you brought up a great example earlier, and I want to reiterate that. So If you have a mom who's had a longer labor, maybe she's been laboring 24 hours and you see her move into the pushing stage with a baby who's tired, you can see it on the monitors. You can see when they check baby during contractions, they're not completely loving the pushing contractions. Maybe you're having some kind of D cells. In this case, it might be better to help baby get out quicker so that we're not creating more chance for intervention. And so in that case, it might make sense to let's bear down and see if we can get some movement with these next couple of pushes before we start talking about things like forceps or vacuum extraction or cesarean birth. And in that case, I think that's what's really important to weigh back and forth. So we know that it's a bit more common for moms who have had an epidural to have longer labors. And we also see Pitocin used often in conjunction with an epidural. And that Pitocin, it can put a bit more strain on on you, but also on baby more so than typical contractions. And so it's not uncommon for providers to want to speed up that pushing stage with baby in mind. Right. And and, and that's kind of unless you received a narcotic not too long before pushing came on. So for mothers who have not received an epidural, but you're unmedicated, however you decided that you would like a narcotic, a lot of times, I did this with my second actually, they said, it'll take the edge off. conversation for another time. Narcotic, by um, the way, I just have to interject. This means something going through your IV. It's not in, it's not an epidural. Or in your butt. Or if you oh. don't have an IV. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like in the cane family, right? It's not right. like a numbing medication. It's a narcotic. It's a little heavier, but it's the kind that messes up your head and your heart rate and the things that they would be concerned about. So here's what happens. And this is why we're so we want you to have so much information in regards to like medication and things for you to make informed consent for your baby. So the medication that you receive in a dose that works for you to help relax you or or work for your body in any sort of way gets to your baby in less than a minute. It passes through your blood and gets to your baby in less than a minute. And so if it's something, if you have a high enough dose that is working for your giant body in You're relation great. to your baby, then it's definitely going to have some effects on baby. And so obviously when you receive a narcotic. That means you're going to be having continuous fetal monitoring. They're going to be checking your heart rate, baby's heart rate, how baby's handling contractions, um, your oxygen levels, all that kind of stuff. And so if you have this narcotic, because oftentimes if it does take the edge off and you're closer to the end of your, your labor, your birth, where you're going to be pushing baby out, it can kick things into gear. It's like, oh, I, that's what I needed to relax the rest of the way. Baby shoots down 
And that can be a little tricky because if it's been in baby's system not very long before they're born, then you have to worry about their breathing problems. Um, and it just becomes a little bit harder, they say, to wake baby up, but really for baby to breathe and, and be alive. So if for some reason you did receive a narcotic prior to the pushing stage, that might be a reason even with you feeling like I have the desire to push for them to try and extend that stage if baby's handling things well enough inside of your body. Can I just say here, you guys, Steph and I try really hard, as a lot of our reviews say, to present both sides of information and really just give the information to you, let you make a decision. I'm just going to tell you my personal opinion. If it were me and I needed some help during labor, I I would choose an epidural over a narcotic every time. I just, I don't know. I've had enough people who've reported back like, yeah, I thought that narcotic was going to help, but it really did nothing for me except made me too relaxed to say that this is still hurting. You know what I mean? And so I just, I don't love all the effects that come with it. And maybe other people have had really positive experiences with it. But if I was choosing some to utilize something to help in that regard, I don't know. I think I would go for the epidural. Yeah, I do. And I, I think that is, I think that's wonderful that you share that. I think it's wonderful that we have the opportunity to, to choose. I, when I look back at what happened, cause I had my narcotic and it wasn't shortly after and my bag of waters went and I was like, okay, now I'm really uncomfortable, you know, in my case. And then I ended up with an epidural anyways. Then I was super bummed thinking, holy cow, now I have the narcotic and the epidural medication and the Pitocin and my baby did start to have issues. And I thought, here's my second cesarean. Now, in my case, it didn't turn out that way. Yay. And it ended up being fine. And I will say, I have had not only clients, but friends who have done the, like, let's take the edge off. And it was enough for them. And it was helpful. And they did enjoy That's that good. experience. So, yeah, I think I think absolutely. Like, it, it depends on how you're feeling about it. But having the information, like, how do you know how to feel about it if you don't have all the information going in? Yeah. There you go, guys. See, we still presented two different sides, two different <laughs> takes. <laughs> All right. So let's say, for example, you and baby are fine. Nobody is particularly exhausted. <laughs> and we say that lightly, right? <laughs> uh, maybe we should say you're not overly exhausted or overly strained. And you're being encouraged to push immediately long and strong pushes. You guys, I came up, this came to my mind and I was like, I'm a genius. <laughs> Not really, but I want you to remember this rhyme because as I was typing this out and it like it, I was like, yes, this is like, I want this in my head if I have to push a baby out. So you can take a breath, take a break, choose to push or choose to wait. You guys, isn't that clever? <laughs> I'm so proud of her. I was like, that's I made genius. a rhyme. <laughs> Let's say that. Let's repeat this because I want this to be part you of- You repeat it in case they like your voice more. Let's give them both sides. <laughs> but this is pushing philosophy in a nutshell. You can take a breath, take a break, choose to push or choose to wait. Hopefully you feel empowered by that. In other words, it's, it's that, your it's choice back on you. You get to yeah. have that choice. All right, let's bring this on home now with, we're finally getting to that question, how to push. Do you bear down or do you breathe your baby down? I want to say, I think the reason that we're getting more questions on this is because there's kind of been a bit of a movement. At least Courtney and I have noticed it, mm -hmm. right? We follow a lot of birth stuff. We hit a lot of hashtags. We see what people are talking about. And there's this movement explaining that you don't need to push at all during birth and encouraging women not to. Breathe um, your baby down is what they say. Right. Yeah. And so is there something wrong with that or not? What should you do? And here's the best part of every part of your birth is that you get to choose. We can't preach from the rooftops for women to tune into their bodies 
And then once their body is telling them to push, say, oh, no, 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 don't listen to that. <laughs> exactly. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense to us. That doesn't sit right. Right. So I think even reading ourselves, like the sentiment sounds great. And I actually think for some women, that is the right decision to relax, to breathe, to just let baby be born. Let your body do the work. Right. But yeah. it, not for everyone. For some women, they're like, no, that's when I felt like I was finally on top of things and mm -hmm. in control of the situation. And I was an active participant instead of getting out of the way. No, I loved pushing. Every mother is different. Every labor is different. The sensations that you might feel and when you feel them is going to be different from your neighbor. Every birth is different. And so it is okay. It is safe and beautiful to push your baby into this world. And it's also okay and safe and beautiful to allow your body to push for you. I know for me, I, I had these four great kids. I had these births and mine were unmedicated. And my urge to push was overwhelming. I mean, I was, it's not the most attractive sound to be making uh, in front of a room full of people, but I Disagree. couldn't. <laughs> well, okay. But I couldn't help it. My body was pushing and I was pushing with it. And I was one of those women who I loved pushing after just doing nothing for 10 centimeters trying really hard to do nothing. I was getting to do something active and pushing actually felt good to me. Okay, maybe not so much when baby's crowning and all that, but in general, <laughs> pushing felt really good and I liked pushing with my body. I love that you shared that and I feel a lot of women feel that exact same way. Um, I know for myself, I got really excited when the pushing contraction started and I shared this like we were on the toilet and like, so I could get into the birth tub. So I had to pee before I got into the birth tub and I got my first pushing contraction. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want to have my baby on the toilet. You know, and we joked that four and a half hours later, I had my baby in the water. But what, what I kept thinking is, I wonder if you have to be, I have to assume that this is the case, that you would have to be pretty tuned into your body if you are not pushing with your contractions to allow those contractions to comfortably birth your baby uh, in a more relaxed state. Mm -hmm. Because when I received those push, I, I was doing everything in my power to not complete the reflex, not completely bear down because I was like, oh, dang, that is something I have not felt before. I don't know. It's going to feel so great pushing that baby through there right now. It's what took me so long in my pushing stage to actually push my baby out. And so I think well, that was my body was still having contractions. It was still doing it on its own. But I, I do have to wonder if I was kind of like holding it in at that point because it was scary versus relaxing and allowing those contractions to do their thing on their own. And I'll just say, as I've observed births of women who were not actively pushing, but kind of, you know, letting their body push and they're breathing their baby down, there was still, it doesn't mean that you're not giving little oomphs, right? Like they, they would, what I would observe is that they would breathe, you know, exhale through the mouth. And usually at the end, there would be just a little bit of that oomph, right? Like a gentle. Exactly. Right? And so that, I don't know if that's a hybrid. I don't know if that's what, how it's ideally supposed to go, but that's what felt good for her. And it worked out beautifully. Um, I do think that in any birthing scenario, whether you're choosing to actively push or you're choosing to breathe your baby down, you do... <laughs> Steph and I always talk about, okay, baby gets to the perineum. This is like the part right before their head's about to deliver. You still have to 
you can't hold back. You still have to kind of push them <laughs> over and through that, right. but you can do it in a way that sort of eases them over. And we say that just to try and save your lady bits so that you don't have any issues related to tearing, although there's right. many factors that go into that. Right. And like, you know, pushing for too long or in the wrong position can swell the area and make it harder to push past. So all that's really important. I will say I've been at both. I've been at births where moms do allow their body to push through and where moms are on top of it and they're actively pushing. And I will say that the mothers that breed their babies down and out, those mothers are much more silent. And I wonder, like I Mm -hmm. am a loud person. It is comfortable for me. It feels better for me to be loud when I am scared or when I'm going through something intense. Like I like the the sound or like using my voice is very comforting to me. And so <laughs> I think for moms, I now I'm, I'm wondering about Enneagrams. I really am. Like, Seriously. Like which Enneagram numbers are the ones that are breathing their babies down? Well, you've got the moms who are roaring their baby into this yeah. world. And it's very, I know some people are like, it's like a lioness. And it is pretty right. cool to watch. The only times I've been like, be quiet is when I'm in another room and there's a mom being crazy loud and the mom I'm working with is maybe kind of just barely into active labor. And she gives me this stare like, what is going to happen to me? You know? And you want to go like, tell that other girl to shut up. Oh just, my gosh. But not really. Like in my mind, I'm going, I know what's For the happening. And the I woman in front great. of me. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. But at the same time, haven't we all seen birth videos where the mom just looks like she could be just taking a nap on the, you know, in the birth tub or in the bed. And next thing it's like, now you hear, got me you thinking hear of that orgasmic birth, which is oh, gosh. <laughs> that's a different no, category. Oh, that's no. a different category. <laughs> oh, heavens. But then there's those moms where you hear them go, oh, baby's head is out. And you're like, wait, what? Yes. What? Yes. I've been at those births. And in fact, I had a repaint client. She did it with both of her where no one had any idea that she had birthed her baby. But I remember looking at her and, and knowing, knowing that she just popped that head out. And it happened the second time, first time she was in a birth bed uh, at a birth center. And the second time was at her home. And I looked at her and she was one of those, like, I, she's like, I was so afraid that I wasn't that close. So I didn't want to make a big thing of it, but just watching her and I'm like, uh, all of a sudden they couldn't find the heartbeat. And I looked and I'm like, cause the head's out. And sure enough, <laughs> the head was out. So she just kind of like moved into that next stage. There was no pushing, there was no umphing and, and she just birthed her baby. So, and there's different, there's different ways behind that. Like in her case, it wasn't even like a planned, you know, like she, I had planned to push. I just was afraid it was too early. Or I didn't want to freak anybody out or it was just a different experience, but it can happen both ways, which I think is really neat. I think you're onto something, Steph. I think that personality can naturally play a part in I how loud or quiet story. You are during birth. (laughs) But I also have to think that I do think that training and preparation does factor into that as well. Totally. Yeah. There's a difference between being loud because it's powerful and it makes you feel better. And there's a difference between that and being loud because holy crap, what's going on? You know, (laughs) it's different. You guys, we want to thank you for being such an active part of the My Essential Birth online and podcast community. Your questions are what kind of prompted this episode and we're grateful for them. And we hope that the information in here was helpful that kind of helped you answer in your mind, should I let my body push on its own or breathe my baby down? And the answer is, we're going to give it to you one more time. Take a breath, take a break, choose to push or choose to wait.
The choice and power is always yours. All right, mamas, we will be back with more tips and advice soon. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe so that you get notifications first about new episodes. And don't forget to head over to myessentialbirth.com for more information on the birth course and to join our online community serving pregnant mamas just like you. 